1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Uh, coming up on today's episode, it's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer go at it across the dispatch box. And we pause the action live to try and explain what is going on. How many times will someone mention Pepper Pig? That's basically the only thing we're really interested in. Uh, we'll find out in a moment. But first, it's our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. So, Alice, let's start off by talking about your column today uh, in The Times, uh, which tackles the snowflake uh, generation and why we shouldn't be so dismissive of them. But uh, we should point out that Culture Secretary, uh, Culture Wars Secretary, Nadine Doris, uh, was talking about this at the uh, uh, Culture Select Committee yesterday and was asked to explain what a snowflake is.
2: You use the term quite often snowflake,
0: snowflake lefties. I think I might
3: have used it once.
0: What is a snowflake lefty? I'm, I'm not. uh...
3: Probably my kids.
0: (laughs) Really. So what? What what is? uh,
1: Are they from Islington? Because what is an Islington
0: lefty?
4: Again, one of my kids.
1: (laughs) Well, she's honest, if nothing else, Alice.
3: Yeah, but she says she's uh, not a snowflake, and it's her children. But she's the one that refuses to go on the you know media and refuses to do any interviews. So actually, she's canceling the media. She's
1: a bit snowflake. I think she's the snowflake. I'd say
3: if I were the children, I'd be saying to her, "God, you know, you're a bit melty, aren't you? You just you know you're not getting out there." (laughs) So actually, my column was about not snowflakes as much as being woke, and that there's you know our readers don't like the Times the idea of wokeness. And we did a poll and, you know, the majority of them said that they couldn't bear children being woke. And I was saying, actually, there is a lot of benefit to being woke. And Rachel Sylvester and I do this podcast, um, which is called Past Imperfect, which is on Times Radio 2. And it talks to people about their very difficult childhoods. And a lot of them had a terrible time at school and they were really abused, either because... Their family had come from Pakistan or because they had cerebral palsy or because they were gay. And there's some really dreadful stories about playground bullying. And that has stopped to a certain extent. People don't use those kind of hideous names anymore. The lexicon's changed. And that's great. And I think if that's woke, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's not to say that there's not sort of bullying or unpleasantness generally. But, yeah, if, if the homophobia, sexism, racism is has gone a bit, then that's um, only good. I mean, the point that you make in your column as well is that woke is just the new version of PC gone mad, isn't it? Yeah. It's just people who don't like moving with the times a bit.
3: Yeah. So political correctness gone mad was the kind of late 80s, 90s, particularly Daily Mail view of the world, which was, oh, my God, why do we have to move forward? And I think that's the problem with wokeness too. But what I was also saying in the column is it's great if children are woke and it's great if they are moving forwards and trying to be more inclusive the downside of their culture is this you know very much cancelled culture that if they don't think someone's woke then they completely cut them out and that's just as bad as some of the bullying that was in, on in the playground really it's that if you don't agree with us then we're just not going to listen to you
1: robert let's bring you in um on the uh on the question of woke and the um well the, the point that Alison also makes the column is that nobody under 30 uses the word woke anyway
0: no, they don't. I mean, funnily enough, not for the first time. Alice has, uh, has scooped me on this subject. I've got a piece along very similar lines coming out in the magazine this Saturday uh, where I went out for the evening with a bunch of uh, 24, 25-year-olds. Uh, and um, I'd make that point in, that, in, the, in the piece. Uh, nobody says woke. Uh, nobody actually that I met is trying to cancel anybody either. I mean, I think, as, as Alice said in her column, that, all, that happens at the extreme. The, 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 the mainstream, the majority, are just kind of all for being nicer about people, which is hardly something that you can object to.
1: I suppose the thing is, Alice, that it is, well, with so many things, the focus on the extreme completely distorts things. On the one hand, you've got, uh, you know, people who do want to tear down statues. No, not very many people want to tear down statues. Uh, the sort of very hard-line woke in inverted. And on the other hand, you've got a whole load of people getting really cross about all of this. And actually, most normal people aren't going around thinking about this at all, uh, beyond the extent of just be nice to people. I mean, just be nice, that's a perfect. Yeah, reasonable Yeah, I mean, they
3: thing. are quite an altruistic generation. In fact, they're known to be, you know, they're the most altru- altruistic generation we've had since the Second World War. What I find rather extraordinary is that, you know, we have got the extremes, but we've also got these incredible role models, which I just don't think I had, which is, you know, people like Malala or Greta Thunberg or Sarah Soma, who's doing Everyone's Invited, or Marcus Rashford. You know, our footballers weren't going around campaigning for free school meals. You know, our generation were kind of getting drunk and going to nightclubs. This generation really do care. They're quiet. You know, I, I like the fact that they campaign like this.
1: Um, and Robert, do you, whose fault is it that this is sort of—is it old people, older people, not old people, older people? Uh, is this just a, a sort of what happens in every generation? Older people struggle with what younger people are up to and talking about.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think I think Aristotle was the first person to <laughs> moan about the, uh, the younger generation. Wasn't he? <laughs> uh, no, seriously, when I, I, read, I read that, when I was doing my research for this this piece. Uh, he said some he said some very unpleasant things about the new generation of ancient Greeks, or they weren't ancient then. Uh, yes, I mean it happens anyway. Uh, it, it happens what you know, generation to generation. Uh, I, I don't suppose I thought I'd ever do it. But I find myself saying sometimes saying disobliging things about the youth of today, uh, not necessarily really meaning it. But I, I mean, yeah, some people my generation uh, do mean it, uh, and I suppose that's because they are. Basing it on what a handful of people are thinking and doing regarding statues and and that kind of thing, but yeah, the truth is it's it is not a it's not a major uh, issue i mean these these I was going to say kids i mean they are they, they, they are kids to me the kids that I went out with a couple of weeks ago are i mean I was one moment when I tried to hit them with some of their own language, because I'd read up on some of the jargon and they didn't know what I was talking about, because they used precisely, <laughs> they used, I said talked about breadcrumbing, which is when you, which is which means uh, leading somebody on or keeping them on the back burner and they said, they didn't know what I was talking about and I said, well we say leading somebody on or keeping them on the back burner <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is what people have been doing for a hundred years. I, I really hope you were doing this we had back, with a baseball cap on
1: backwards, with a sort of skateboard on your arm <laughs> just go, just <laughs> of course Talking about bread. Um Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because also part of me thinks that maybe the sort of social media and the internet generally. I mean, teenagers, students, people in their late teens, early 20s, have always done stupid things, got het up about daft things. But you did it in the privacy of your common room or student union or whatever it is. You're, you don't yeah. end up on the front of the papers for it. And you didn't before.
3: Yeah, I think the only, I, only I, weird thing yeah. is the language, isn't it? And that there are bits when you're like, you know, I find with my children, I'll say something and they'll say, God, you know, don't say that, you can't say that. And that's the difficult... If you're saying it with the right motives, I think they've got to be a bit more relaxed about it. But I think that's the most extreme level of what they're doing. The rest of it, you know... And actually, I rather like the fact now they don't really want you to wear what they're wearing, or which is exactly what I had, you know. We're well, wearing
1: what we wore in the nineties. what we're yeah. all doing now. Yeah, well,
3: the dungarees banned. <laughs> You're not, not allowed, allowed to wear it. <laughs> no jumpsuit dungare- anything like that. No, yeah. even flares are a bit iffy about. You know, that is theirs. Well, you know, well, I we don't like the anything like them.
0: Time, I loved it. it. I loved it when you said your grandma described you as "with it" in the uh, in the eighties because mine, mine is exactly the same. Yeah.
3: I mean, "with it" was the word then, wasn't it? But then it wasn't yeah. as derogatory, was it? It was like, oh, no. okay.
0: Yeah, but it was already sort of it was already a bit a bit old fashioned. But they thought that they, they you, your grandma thought she was being really with it. Yeah,
1: I yeah. with it. All parents <laughs> telling you, I thought that I, I bought you that. I thought it looked trendy. You know? yes, trendy yeah. was the killer, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's the yeah. last thing. That's the last thing you got. Um, uh, oh, I've had lots of texts about woke, but I'm not going to bother with those. Uh, Robert, let's talk about your uh, your the piece you've written in, in Times today. We talked about this briefly on the show yesterday. Uh, uh-huh. This new um, uh, guidance from. Uh, nice about uh, subscribing exercise and meditation uh, as a possible alternative to antidepressants uh, and sort of moving straight to pills. Uh, But you've written a piece, well, the headline says, Meditation, exercise, let me keep my antidepressants.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm saying the the last line of the piece is actually possibly more illuminating in in that I say it's a a both-and rather than an either-or. Yeah. Uh, Of course, I think... uh, most people find that their mood is improved by exercise or by meditation or by, kind of, if not meditation, then a meditative activity, such as, I don't know, gardening or walking or, you know, doing kind of low-level chores or looking at sunset or that kind of thing. That's obviously undeniably true. But for many of us, uh, and it's now it's an amazing 17% of the adult population, in the UK, which is over seven million people who are on antidepressants, uh, we need the uh, we need the chemical alteration, the chemical boost as well, in order to be able to uh, pursue all those other good things that we everybody knows that we sh- should be doing. So that's the point that I'm making is. Uh, you can do both uh i mean i'm all in favor of you know i think it's called social prescribing where people say you know go go for go and get some exercise go for a walk in the woods or i think that's great uh and uh, but i'm also equally in favor but for a number of us uh who are uh, uh who do suffer from depression you need you need that that boost which i've uh, and it certainly it certainly improved my life i've been taking them uh, Antidepressants, Prozac, uh, fluoxetine, commonly known, for 16 years. And it's, uh, when I tried to stop taking them, the results were not, were not good. So uh, I'd be wary of, uh, I mean, I don't think doctors do give out antidepressants like, like sweets. And uh, I don't think they're going to now stop uh, handing them out to people who need them. But I would be wary of uh, saying, you can, uh, you know, if you're depressed, don't take a pill. Go to go to a uh, a spin class. It's interesting. Works works like that. I
1: suppose it, it, sort of, it can cut both ways, kind of. Because we I mean, I spoke to a doctor about it this yesterday, and uh, we were sort of saying, well, actually, it might mean that some people with very low levels of yeah. depression, mental, health might think, well, I might go to the doctor's because he's not going to immediately put me on to pills and whatever. Yeah. So in that, that sense, it's a good thing. But what you don't want to do is also. The idea that, you know, it can all be sorted out with a walk in the woods slightly reinforces yeah. the old oh, pull-yourself-together.
0: It, uh, it, do- it does a little bit. It's, it's trending that way. And I think, uh, I don't think, I, it's not as, I mean, these drugs are long out of, of, of patent, so it's not as if they're particularly expensive, I don't think. Yeah. So I, don't think I don't think there's a cost element. I mean, it's certainly, when they're suggesting going to NHS counselling or CBT sessions or uh, addiction sessions and so on, that, I guess that I think that's probably more expensive than... Uh, and drugs. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a cost issue, and there's no side, as far as I know, there's no side effect issue. So I can't quite see a downside of saying to somebody, take these, uh, see how it works, and that then might give them the boost that they need in order to do the do the, the, other, the other, things. other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Alice, that's the, the thing I took from Robert's column very much is you can't go for a swim or go for a run or go for a walk unless you're feeling well enough to get yourself off the sofa or get yourself out of bed. And that's when you might need it. And we've got quite a lot of depression in our family. And I think, you know, actually without realizing it, we were always trying to, you know, my mother was very keen on the fact that we had a routine that we tried to do some exercise that we tried to keep going. And I think that was part of it because she did get depressed. She knew that actually lying in bed, you know, wasn't a great thing, but but there are moments when you can't get yourself up and get yourself out. And then you probably do need medication or, what is a lot more expensive is getting therapy um, and CBT, but that that is expensive and they're there's huge waiting lists for that. So yes, you know, yeah. I can see why GPs think, well, you know, wait a year, and we might get them on that, or you know, give them a pill and it will help immediately.
5: Yeah,
1: it's um, it's it's well, I suppose it's one of, as basically the point that you make. Maybe this is the thread running through our whole conversation: is that not everything is black and white? It's not either or. Just be nice. Exactly. And I know. different horses kind, for courses. Sweet. Different things for other different people. This sort of this sort of even handed hand rigging centrist nonsense is gonna get us anywhere. We're never gonna go five and online with yeah, this. Yeah, I
3: think Rob and I are a bit centrist, Mum and Dad, that's the problem, isn't it?
0: But you're coming to the party.
3: We are, we're coming together, I think, Short aren't
0: we? Sure thing. Yeah. thing is, why does it start at five o'clock? That's early, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is very early. Early doors, five till midnight. I, do, I can't do that in no those sort of hours anymore.
1: So this is the this is the Times Radio launch party, birthday party, uh, listening figure party, and Christmas party all rolled into one tomorrow night. Well, I assume you'll be dancing at some point, Robert.
0: No doubt. Yeah, we don't get that at the comment party, which is next week. <laughs> I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to this one more.
1: <gasps> don't let them hear you say that. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, then you can read both the columns online right now and join the conversation in the comment section underneath. You just need to get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
5: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this PNQs unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire.
2: Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman.
1: Yes, it's PMQ's Unpacked, where we pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyze in real time what is going on. If you're listening along and you want to get in touch, you can text me 8722 Start Message mention the Word Times, tweet at Times Radio. What do you think will come up? Any suggested questions for Keir Starmer or jokes or whatever, uh, get in touch in the usual ways. Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator for the Sunday Times, is here. What do you expect to come up Tim? It's a popcorn day, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Keir
2: Starmer's job today, really, is to try and deepen the divisions between Boris Johnson and the people sitting behind him, or between some of the people sitting behind him and the other people sitting behind him. Um, so there's quite a lot he can go at. Um, he can delve into the misery of this... Uh, Uh, quote uh, that emerged from Downing Street saying, you know, it's all going terribly badly um, uh, earlier in the week, which is tearing the Tories apart. Um, But I think he's better off going on an issue like the small boats crisis, which a lot of those Tory MPs are enraged about and think that... Johnson and Pretty Patel are failing to get to grips with, or something that's more Labour's natural terrain, the social care uh, shift which led to a massive rebellion earlier in the week. That's something where Labour have a stronger view uh, and he could sort of spread a bit of misery on the Tory benches by doing that. So that's what I would expect him to do.
1: Going on an issue rather than just the Westminster gossip, you know. Yeah, but he'll find some
2: Westminster gossipy jokes along the way, I would imagine, because that will um, uh, help him... Uh, get some headlines in the papers and um, convince um, the parliamentary lobby that he's sort of on the ball.
1: Um, so it's important to have some good jokes today, I would think. Well, Cameron's already offered one up. He says, if Starmer doesn't use the line, he may not be Moses, but he's certainly a basket case. He knew, he needs new joke writers. Well, I think it's fair to say he does need new joke writers, so that <laughs> seems like a perfectly reasonable we'll send observation. that one in. Uh, some form of pepper Pig references... Would seem to be inevitable. Or, yeah, yeah. Although there's a a real risk they've all been done in the last 24 hours. Well, I mean, it's PMQs.
2: I mean, it's not all jokes at PMQs are brand new, are they?
1: (laughs) They're not all always totally funny. They're not always funny, no. Um, But but a lot of MPs in the Commons are wearing masks on the front bench. Jacob Rees-Mogg isn't, and I think that was Alastair Jack, the Scottish Secretary, isn't, but um, uh, others on the government front bench. Ah, it's a little bit busier on the Tory side than last week, I'd say. There's yeah, a bit but still green not leather. Ab- still not absolutely rammed, is it? Um, no, certainly on the on what we the the, the the lower end, so furthest from the common speaker. There's definitely spaces. The there. cheap seats. The cheap seats, if you like. Or normally, that is where the troublemakers also sit.
2: Yes, perhaps they are um,
1: gathering to plot and write their letters instead. <laughs> now, um, how bothered should we be about this letters writing? It does seem like if all else fails, somebody starts speaking. You need 54 Tory MPs to th- to want to oust Boris Johnson to send a letter to the 1920s. I mean, It ill behoves
2: journalists to say that great excitement around letter writing um, is not a story, um, but I think I wrote quite a lot of these stories about <laughs> Theresa May's government that was 20-odd points behind and having an absolutely terrible time, and it still took two years for them to get rid of her. Um, it seems pretty unlikely that this is likely to come to a head any time soon. Though there are some members of the awkward squad who I think were racing to be the first one to put the letter in a week or so ago, um, some of whom uh, were early off the mark with the previous prime ministers. Um, some of them just like
1: writing letters. Um, <laughs> we should, well, the whole point of this is—you you would trigger a vote of no confidence in the in the prime minister if if he if he reached the fifty-four letters. Yes, I mean
2: the you know. Uh, naughty people have been tweeting pictures of Rishi Sunak at a desk scribbling um, (laughs) and suggesting that uh, uh, that's what he might be
1: up to He's too busy playing cricket for Uh, £35,000 in this auction Uh, Extraordinary Uh, Right, we're giving up to go uh, live to the House of Commons for PMQs Unpacked If you haven't heard it before, this is how we do it We pause the action uh, between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer and try to analyse in real time what's going on. Here we go Uh,
4: Thank you Mr Speaker At the last election, the Prime Minister promised that nobody would have to sell their home to pay for care. That's Ah. another broken promise, isn't it?
2: Prime Minister, no!
4: That's
1: very... Right, so first of all, A, going on social care, as you predicted, so that's a point to Tim. Uh, Also, ask a really short question, because you slightly flummoxed You don't give him time to find the the notes that,
2: you know, he'd be scrabbling through his paperwork again going, uh, forgive me, forgive me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got the no. Let's see what his response was.
5: No, Mr Speaker, no, Mr Speaker, uh, because because if he looked at what we are proposing and if he supported what we are proposing, which is fixing something that uh, Labour never fixed in all their years in office, Mr Speaker saying to the people of this country that we will disregard your home as part of your assets if you and your spouse are living it, and, and number two, Mr Speaker, uh, we, you can have a deferred payments agreement if you, if you move out of it and you're living in, in residential care. You can have a deferred payments agreement. But most important of all, Mr Speaker, by putting the huge investment that we are making now in health and social care. We are allowing for the first time the people of this country to ensure themselves against the potentially catastrophic, the otherwise catastrophic costs of, of dementia or Alzheimer's, Mr Speaker. And, uh, and even if you're not one of the, 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 those people who suffer from those afflictions, we are taking away the anxiety from millions of people, millions of people up and down the land about their homes.
2: Yeah. Here's Starmer.
5: Right, so. Uh... <laughs> This is
1: a, this is, This feels like, it, it, it starts off feeling a bit like semantics, but it's a crucial point, this one, this question of having to sell your home uh, and not having to sell your home when you're in it. Yes, which is different from not having to sell it at all. Yes. Um, so some people say this
2: is a watering down of what Boris Johnson pledged. And the interesting thing about this is it's one of the things that's slightly troubling Tory MPs. They did this social care reform. Most people know there's not been a, a decent social care reform, you know, uh, until this one came along. Um, uh, lots of governments have tried and failed, and Boris Johnson's government has at least passed something, but he's not getting much credit for that because he's slightly overpromised uh, in terms of what the policy would deliver, and now it's being unpicked. The same thing happened with the big trains announcement. They put 96 billion quid into building uh, new track and trains, um, 55 odd of it, fresh money, but because Boris Johnson said we'll definitely build all of HS2 and then they didn't, it looks like a disappointment and and this is one of the problems you know, he, he promises the earth and, and delivers only the moon and you know, they, if they'd rolled the pitch and said here's a beautiful moon, he might
1: be doing a bit better <laughs> There's a joke about beautiful moons which I shall resist making, instead we'll go back to the House of Commons and Keir Starber.
4: I think the Prime Minister just described the broken system, he said he was fixing <laughs> so It's certainly not a straight answer. Let's have another go. Let's have another go. He used to say, he used to say, he used to... I see they turned up this week, Prime Minister. Uh, Not uh, all of them. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, he used to say, he used to
2: say that... Lindsay Hoyle. I don't think I need any further. Yesterday we had a very good example of the House being at its best in that church. In that cathedral, please, let's show some respect. I want to be able to hear not only the Prime Minister but the Leader of the Opposition. Shouting each other down doesn't do you or your constituents any good. We need to hear the questions and I certainly need to hear the answers. And if anybody doesn't like
1: it, please leave now. Yes, Sarma. Lindsay Hall, they're referring to the,
4: uh, Mr. Speaker, the funeral it's not a complicated David Amos yesterday. So let's have another go. He used to say that nobody would have to sell their home to pay for their care. It's in his manifesto right here. On the basis of that promise, he then put up tax on every working person in the country. So has he done what he promised and ensured that nobody will have to sell their home to pay for care? Yes or no? It's not complicated.
5: Prime Minister. No, no, it's not complicated, Mr Speaker, uh, because because what we're doing... Uh, is disregarding your home as part of the assets uh, that we calculate. So to, if you go down uh, to £100,000, uh, the, that's the beginning uh, where we will ask you to, to contribute. But your home is not included in that, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, they, have, they have absolutely no plan. They've spent decades uh, failing to address this. And only a, f- only a few weeks ago, Mr Speaker, they failed to, uh, they failed to vote for the 36 billion pounds that will enable us uh, to fix this and uh, to help people up and down the country uh, not just to not just to fix the social care problem but to pay for people to live in their own homes mr speaker and receive the care they need in their homes that's what this one nation conservative government is doing why won't he support it
1: Sort of same exchange, isn't it, Tim? A a little bit, but um, uh, Boris
2: Johnson's obviously had a good briefing here because there's all sorts of things coming out of his mouth that it's not entirely clear that he fully understands everything that he's saying. When you get down to 100,000, and there was reference previously to the Deferred Payments Agreement, which sort of came gabbling out of his mouth a bit fast. um, (laughs) And, you know, he'd clearly been told to say these things. Um, I mean, his broad argument is a simple one. We did this and you lot... Um, have been trying to do it for years and you didn't and why didn't you vote for it? Um, it's a pretty standard Johnson response but he's trying to provide uh, a little more detail than he does sometimes and it's not clear he's entirely comfortable with it. Yeah, if you, start, if you
1: start your answer with it's not complicated and then make it sound quite complicated. It sounded very complicated. It's, it's, uh, it's, but, but also with him, it's a sign of, I mean, he's not a man who lacks confidence but it's an indication that he he knows it's a slightly stickier wicket. Yeah, I think that's so right. he's putting slightly more thought into the response. And
2: Starmer did well with his sort of off the cuff, you know,
1: they've turned up this week, Prime Minister, making reference to and the it's sort a of. a shame empty... that Lindsey Hall then intervened. You know, yeah. Ke- Keir Starmer's clearly trying to wind up the Tories. So if yes. he does it successfully, that, you know, it's his lookout if his next question's slightly muffled. But um, anyway, we'll find out what the next one is. It's question number three from Keir Starmer.
4: Mr. Speaker, has had two opportunities to stand by his manifesto commitment. He's not taken them. Hmm. As, well, it says he just has. So, so let, let's test this in the real world, Prime Minister. Under the Prime Minister's plans, a, person's with a, a person with assets worth about £100,000, most of it turned up in their home, would have to pay £80,000. They'd lose almost everything. How on, earth, how on earth does the Prime Minister think that they can get their hands on that kind of money without selling their home. Prime yeah. Minister. Yeah. Mr
5: yeah. Speaker, I'm going to have a third tr- go trying to uh, clear this up in the befuddled in the no. fu- no. mind of the right honourable gentleman opposite. because, and it, because it, is, it is important and uh, the fact is that the party opposite have totally failed to address it. They haven't had the guts to fix this uh, in all their time in office. It's something left over. It's something left over uh, from, from the Atlee government and we are fixing it. and as I, as I, let me repeat let me repeat for the third time mr speaker since your home is disregarded number two uh, even if you have even if you have a, a second home in your residential care mr speaker you have a deferred payments agreement if you want, and number three mr speaker we are allowing you to insure yourself for the first time against the catastrophic consequences by capping it at 86000 mr speaker and no he stood on a manifesto to put the cap where mr speaker and £100,000, Mr Speaker. Keir Starmer.
2: <laughs> I don't think
1: he, there's just one befuddled mind here, is there? And the problem is that uh, Keir Starmer... Uh, the, you know, Boris Johnson keeps saying, you didn't know... Keir Starmer's never been in government. Uh, Boris Johnson is in government. He's come up with a plan which, for which he deserves some credit. But if it doesn't live up to the promise of... That he himself, that he himself made. made, then politically is a problem.
2: It is. And he seems now to be having a go at the Attlee government, which is a bold <laughs> manoeuvre. <laughs> um,
1: and and the, the other thing is, the deferred payments thing is, means if you do go into a care home, you do have to pay it later. Your house yes. will have to be sold, but after you've done it. The whole it. point of
2: the deferred payment system is it wouldn't be necessary if what Boris Johnson is asserting was correct. Um, because if it's you. It's there precisely to cover the fact that you might have to uh, cough up this money. Um, Probably by selling your house. Probably but by the selling point your is house you, later. You'd
1: sell it later, which is why there's this distinction between you will not have to sell your house uh, to you will not have to sell your house if you are living in it. Yes, or you will not have to sell your house while you are alive. But you will have
2: to find assets, which probably you will have to find from your house and the most, after the event.
1: And the point is, in particular, what's really, what is, is the way that they've done this, this. This tweet that they've made is it particularly hits. Uh, if you've only got hundred thousand assets you, in assets, you lose almost all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was if you've got 500,000 of assets under this plan, you're still left with 400,000.
2: Exactly. So the people who will probably be fine are mostly in the south and the people who will lose out are precisely those voters that Boris Johnson said he was going to look after when they lent their votes to the Conservative Party in the north of England in 2019. That's why it's so politically toxic for him and it's deepened those splits that we were talking about earlier between the sort of 29 intake and um, the old
1: guard in the south with their big majorities. Now, let's see where we are. So we're halfway through. We've had three questions from Keir Starmer. Does he do all six on Social Care? Or does he broaden it out? Does he talk about other things? Does he dare mention Peppa Pig? Let's find out. It's question four from Keir Starmer.
4: The, the, the question was very simple. It's, it's the question all of his backbench are on. If you've got a house worth about £120,000, £140,000, how do you find eighty plus thousand pounds without selling your home? It's common sense. Strip away the bluster, strip away the deflection, strip away the refusal to answer the question. There's a simple truth, and this is why the Prime Minister won't address it. People will still be forced to sell their homes to pay for care. That accounts... Why did they... Look at the vote the other day to see the answer to that question. They'll still be forced to sell their home. It's another broken promise. Just like like he promised that he wouldn't put up tax. Just like he promised 40 new hospitals. Just like he promised a rail revolution in the north. (laughs) Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. Who knows? Well, to get quite Who knows if, if he'll make bench. it to the next election? But if he does, how does he expect anyone to take him and his promises seriously? Right. Let's
1: just jump in there, because there's quite a lot to unpick. Um, I mean, the, the, it's interesting the point you were making before we even started, Tim, that there's difference between over-promising and under- under-delivering. He said he wouldn't put up tax... Uh, which obviously that's a straightforward broken promise because he is doing that for social care. He promised 40 hospitals. And to try and get there, they're now calling basically any... Any extension Any extension. New it suddenly becomes a new hospital. Well, yeah. if they just said we're going to, be, you know, extend 40 hospitals, that's quite a good promise that people might have liked that. And similarly, on the, the rail revolution for the North, there is a rail revolution happening in the North. It's just not quite as big as the one that uh, yeah. he promised. A bold move, I might say, uh, from Keir Starmer to say if he survives until the next election, given that both of them have their own... Uh, question marks over their um, yeah prospects of fighting uh, going all the way to whenever it is,
2: but an interesting riff this from Starmer, and it's it's a riff you can hang pretty much anything on every week, and uh, I, one can only presume that their focus groups are beginning to pick up. You know this this riff about broken promises, and that is you know, problematic for a government at, at the best of times, and it's the thread that hangs all the chaos together. That lots of the things that have happened. I think a lot of Tories have rightly said this won't cut through or this won't be what people are thinking about at the time of the next election. But if you can sew it all together with this riff on broken promises... Um, that's the sort of thing that that does enter yeah. into people's consciousness, and it, it's the sort of thing that does make people change their votes.
1: And I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Is if they just went, "Oh, he's a joke." The thing about him being a joke and the jokes won't people like, people still find the joke funny. They do, and but if and he's, he's not tried delivering all sorts of things, the promises, and they then haven't it's a worked. Thing. This yeah, is, yeah. But
2: this feels to me like he's onto something here. Finally, right. Let's go back to the comments.
5: Uh, Mr. Speaker, yet again, he raises the, the rail revolution in, in the north. and uh, uh, it, 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 the three new high-speed lines. we got Mr. it last Speed. Thursday.: '96. '96, 96, 96 billion pounds. Nothing like it. Again, nothing like it, nothing like it, nothing like it, Mr. Speaker. Nothing like it for a century. And, and, and just, just for the advantage of what, I didn't, I didn't even know this. I was in a state of complete innocence about this last week, Mr Speaker. But it turns out that the right honourable gentleman actually campaigned against HS2 altogether. Said it would be devastating, and said it should be cancelled. I can tell you something: this is HS2 runs through my constituency as well, and I took a decision, even though it's been very tough for my constituents. I took it. I could have took a decision that it was in the right. It was the right thing to do for the long term interests of the whole country. How can they possibly trust that man?
1: So um, we should point out that uh, this was a reference to a story that came out last week. Uh, that back in 2015. Keir Starmer tweeted, handing over petitions against HS2 in Parliament today with my neighbouring MP Tulip Sadiq, uh, because he's a MP in North London.
2: Well, that's a good bit of uh, staff work by the Tory party. Uh, I think some people will be amused to hear Boris Johnson um, talking about his constituency. It's a little bit unclear when he last visited it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, putting the country first. I mean, you know, he's 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 got a good argument. And this, you know, this is the what we're going to see at the next election. If the Conservative Party have delivered this stuff and it makes a material difference to people's lives, then that will be fine and they will probably keep those votes. Um, If they don't deliver on this stuff and people think that it's just a series of broken promises, then they're vulnerable. And what you're beginning to see, we've had, you know, the last couple of PMQs have been quite lively. And you're now beginning to see both sides get a bit more of a handle on which arguments are working for them. Um, Starmer has, you know, fumbled around quite a bit over the last year (laughs) looking for an argument that works. And the kind of arguments that he himself thought would work haven't really. This whole idea of Boris Johnson being sort of chaotic and a a joke. Um, People have sort of priced that in. But all politicians are vulnerable to broken promises. And, you know, Boris Johnson more than most because he's more prepared to just, you know, <laughs> promise something that is frankly unlikely.
1: Well, but the time. trouble is, because he, he's a good salesman, people notice the promises. Yes, exactly. He's very good at selling the promise. So there's almost, almost. Yeah, I and mean, a lot of politicians make promises and nobody's even heard of them, yes. let alone what their promises are. <laughs> but, um... So he's very good at selling the promise, but then he, you know, he's then more vulnerable to the, the charges not delivered on them. Right, well, I think we've got is now question number five from Keir Starmer.
4: Mr. Mr. Speaker, I think he's lost his place of his notes again. Yeah. A the only, joke there.
1: The,
4: the, only thing, the only thing he's delivering is high taxes, high prices and low growth. I'm not sure the Prime Minister should be shouting about that. And it isn't just broken promises, it's also about fairness. Everyone needs protection against massive health and care costs. But under his plan, someone with assets worth about £100,000 will lose almost everything. Yep. Yet somebody with assets of about a £1 million will keep almost everything. Yeah. It's, just like, it's just like their 2017 manifesto all over again. Only this time, something has changed. He's picked the pockets of working people to protect the estates of the wealthiest. How could he possibly have managed to devise a working-class dementia tax? Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's picked the pockets of working people. Uh, I'm not sure that that nothing has changed, something has changed. It can't be like 2017 and then not be like 2017. I mean, I'm also slightly surprised Keir should have probably gone off into another direction, maybe gone on rail, pick up something else. Well, that question was quite kept, a lot like the last kept,
2: one. Yeah, and, you know... If he can keep the riff going, but build on it each time, then that has more power than in
0: another getting promise. into
2: sort of yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure.
1: It's, it's sort of feel, feel like it's petering out a little bit. Well, let's see if Boris Johnson
0: uh, gives a still
3: different,
1: no. Pepper Pig having asked uh, yeah having been asked the same question essentially four times now five times. Let's see if Boris Johnson gives a different answer. Uh, uh, Mr.
5: Speaker, he, 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 I think I've answered that question three times uh, I'm already. This, is, this, this does more. This does more for working people up and down the country than Labour ever did. Uh, than Labour ever did, and, uh, because we're actually solving the problem that they failed to address. We're disregarding your housing asset altogether, Mr. Speaker, while you're in it. And he talks about jobs. He talks about working people. Well, well let, let, me, let me just remind him. Just one key statistic that people should should bear in mind. Uh, it's now almost a month after furlough ended. He talks about the, the economy, Mr Speaker. There are now more people in work than there were before yeah! the pandemic began. And that's because of the policies ah! this government has pursued. Keir Starmer.
1: Still no pepper Pig. Very sad. I think that's probably enough of that, isn't it? Uh, let's take the last question from Keir Starmer.
4: Mr Speaker, there's no getting away from it. Working people... Are being asked to pay twice. During their working lives, they'll pay much more tax in national insurance, whilst those living off wealth are protected. And then when they retire, Mr Speaker, they face having to sell their home when the wealthiest won't have to do so. It's a classic con game, a covent garden pickpocketing operation. The Prime Minister is the front man distracting people with wild promises and panto speeches, whilst his Chancellor dips his hand in their pocket. But now, but now the Prime Minister's routine is falling flat. His Chancellor is worried that people are getting wise. His backbenchers say it's embarrassing. Your words. (laughs) Your words. Your words. And and, and senior people in Downing Street tell the BBC it's just not working. Is everything okay, Prime Minister?
5: Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Speaker, I I tell you what's not working it's that line of attack. I just, to, I just want to repeat. I want, I want, I want to repeat the, the, the crucial point, uh, Mr. Speaker. We're delivering for the working people of this country. We're delivering for the people of this country, and we're fixing the problems that they thought could never be fixed. We're doing the things that they thought were impossible. And let, let me repeat: there are now more people, more people in work in this country jobs up, with their wages going up, Mr Speaker, than there were before the pandemic began. And that is because of the policies that this government has followed. Uh, Whether it's on rolling out the vaccine, if you remember uh, that he he opposed, uh, whether it's on investment, uh, he he did, Mr Feast, he He didn't want to invest in in the vaccine task force, I seem to remember, I seem to remember. Where, or, whether, or, whether, or whether it is making the strategic investments that we have. If we, listened, if we listened to Captain Hindsight, Mr Speaker, we would have no HS2 at all, because that was what he stood for. And if we listened to him, we would all still be in lockdown, Mr Speaker.
1: Well, there we are. That brings us to the end of uh, the, the main exchange between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. Um, it's interesting. So the first thing I want to pick up on, uh, Tim Shipman, who's uh, with me, uh, Keir Starmer talked about this this pick the Covent Garden pickpocketing pick pocket, pickpocketing operation pickpocketing operation uh, because the reason the reason that leapt out to me is because uh, the uh, shadow chancellor Rachel Reeves used a similar line when she was responding to the uh, the budget uh, because Keir Starmer had got COVID. Uh, when he, uh, when she said, "Then it's a classic two, it's a classic con con game, like one of those pickpocketing operations you see in crowded places." It's the promises the front, is the front man distracting people with the wild promises, and all the while the Chancellor is dipping his hand in their pockets. But that also turned out to be, uh, at times, almost word for word lifted from something that William Hague used when he responded to one of. I think it must have been Gordon Brown's uh, budget. But you do wonder if um, everyone were heaping praise on Rachel Reeves' response to the budget has uh, inspired Keir Starmer. Well, you also wonder if any of them actually listened to it as well, because it's a little
2: bit elaborate, and it certainly wasn't <laughs> delivered particularly effectively there, I didn't think. Um, you need sort of lines that cut through straight away. That that would take up, frankly, slightly too much airtime on the BBC, I suspect, um, to to have much of an impact. And Boris Johnson had a decent riposte with, um, you know, an off-the-cuff line about, I'll tell you what's not working, it's that line of attack, and then, you know, blah, 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 into up, his, burble, in, in, burble. Into his uh, uh, usual in round-up. Um, but, you know, um, that was a decent session, wasn't it?
1: Um, so let's let's zoom out a bit, So um, because we don't want to get too obsessed with where we are right now, you know, individual stories and individual PMQs. What does this tell us about where the two leaders are and their strengths and weaknesses? Keir Starmer's sort of improving, but not hugely, and Boris Johnson's more vulnerable than he was?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Starmer's got a better argument, but he doesn't always make it terribly well. Um, And Johnson knows he's under pressure. He can bluster through to a degree, but it doesn't always get him completely out of trouble. And... um, uh, that's what some of his MPs are beginning to look at and say you know is the bluster enough um it's clearly not there's a lot other lot of other things going on and Boris Johnson has got some achievements to point to um but as an exchange you know it's it's good to hear the commons pretty lively um the other thing that struck me today is if you look at those, it's the mask apartheid on the Tory front bench is fascinating. It's all the right wingers who aren't wearing them. Jacob Rees-Mogg, Liz Truss, Nadine Doris, Britta Patel, no masks. Alok Sharma, Rishi Sunak, Sajid Javid, Michael Gave, the sort of more centrist people, all in masks. Um, That's, that another Tory split. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The elaborate Venn diagrams of where they all are um, uh, really stands out. Uh, lots of people on on Twitter are picking up on the phrase working-class dementia tax, uh, and the expectation we might be hearing rather a lot of that uh, from the Labour well, Party. Well, the
2: same phrase worked against the May government during the 2017 election, and uh, if you tack working-class onto it, that starts to have an impact, uh, the Labour Party will hope, uh, on those red-wall seats again. Um, and, you know... Boris Johnson's challenge is he's got a pretty weird coalition that no Tory leader has had before and that's why he won a big majority and that's why he's an effective politician because he's managed to bring quite different sorts of people together. But keeping them all on the same page is going to be a challenge um, and you know he's got to be flight of foot uh, to pull that off and a good leader of the opposition will keep pulling at those threads um, uh, and Starmer's beginning to show signs of
1: life in terms of running the right arguments but like we are as someone pointed out today we are probably at least two two years from a general election and they're neck and neck and normally mid term you'd probably expect the opposition to be further ahead yeah yeah they would normally expect to have a decent sized lead
2: at this point and that's um uh, what a lot of the older wise tory folk <laughs> keep keep uh, you know referring to unfortunately quite a lot of the new tory folk have never been behind they're not used to it um they don't like what it feels like and um are more likely to be jittery i think and they they seem less determined to have ministerial careers and be loyal than most new intakes, and that's a problem
1: for Boris Johnson because there's a heck of a lot of them. Um, and and politics is much more volatile than it was, and Boris Johnson, like you said, his victory was based on people switching, and once people switch, they have a habit of switching again. It doesn't mean that you've got them all in the bag forever. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Acast, Spotify or wherever you listen and listen to my show on Times Radio Monday to Thursday 10 till 1 and to read more about what we've been discussing you can subscribe at thetimes.co.uk
2: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat